0: Today I'm going to be reading to you in the book of John. I will make sense of this with the message. you got to bear with me. It's designed to bring your attention to something. We're going to go to the book of John, chapter 12. Seems like we only ever read this at Easter time. But it has a lot to tell us. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took up palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young and sat on it, as it was written. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with them, when they saw Lazarus from the tomb and praised him from the dead, continued to spread word. Many people, because they heard what he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Now look, the whole world has gone after him. Now if you look at the title of your sermon, it says, The Final Invitation. What is the word which, when obeyed, brings joy to the angels in heaven? What is the word which disobeyed brings sorrow to the heart of Jesus? That's what we sitting here today will explore as we look into God's Holy Word together. But before we get there, allow me to share with you about another man who decided to come to Jerusalem. The last emperor of Germany was Kaiser Wilhelm II. And in 1898, he decided to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. At that time, the once Grand Jerusalem was in serious need of attention. So six months before the Kaiser was scheduled to arrive, the Sultan replaced the mayor of Jerusalem with the more energetic official. Basically, he kicked the old one out, right? And he was in charge of making much-needed improvements before the German Kaiser came there. To prepare for the Kaiser and his entourage, a small village of 81 tents was set up just outside the city. And inside the city, the markets were rebuilt, the water system was repaired, it was centuries of neglect, and they repaired the water system, roads along the Kaiser's plan route were all paved, a brand new paving material, right? New buildings were constructed, and the old ones that they left were whitewashed and repainted. Beggars and barking dogs, no, 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 the order was, beggars and barking dogs were to be rounded up and exiled to a distant villages and the wall near the Jaffa gate through which the Kaiser was going to enter was torn down large enough so his whole entourage could come in. So they could easily access the city. And on the day of his Grand entry, the Kaiser entered Jerusalem, riding a white horse. Beautiful white horse. And he was welcomed by numerous dignitaries, journalists, photographers, and the crowd cheered. And he got a 21-gun salute. A hundred years later, the Tower of David Museum in Jerusalem, set up an interactive display, an event called the Kaiser's Coming. You can go look at it today. You can see all the pictures. You can see the Kaiser coming to the last official king in the mind of the Israelites to come. And the crowds went wild. The Kaiser is coming. The last emperor of Germany entered a city and everybody went just crazy, wild. Now, nearly 200 years, 2,000 years before that, Jesus entered the city, the same city. The crowds went wild and spread their cloaks and palm branches on the road before him, and they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, we just read that in 1213. They were declaring... The king is coming. And they knew that Jesus was coming, the coming king, because he was fulfilling prophecy. A couple of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, the king of kings. Now, you may or may not remember, but remember that I mentioned that the Kaiser entered in through the Jaffa gate. Here's a picture of it. The gate lies on the western side of Jerusalem. In fact, the Jaffa Gate has been the major entrance to the old city for the la- about the last 300 years. And before that, it was used to be, it used to be that the most important gate in Jerusalem was on the other side. The other side of the city. The other side of Jerusalem. The gate is called the Easter Gate. And the eastern gate was important because there was a prophecy from Ezekiel that the Jews believed, declared that the Messiah would enter through that gate. He'd enter Jerusalem through that gate. It's Ezekiel 10, 18-19, God spoke about the glory of the Lord leaving the temple through the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. But later in Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 through 5, Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord return to the temple from that gate facing east. Now here's a picture of the gate. It's going to pop up here. Now you'll notice something. When I went to Israel last year, this is what the eastern gate looked like now. The gate is all walled up. Nobody can get in or through it. About five hundred years ago, the Sultan Summerman the Great, he had it walled up. He had it sealed up because he realized that the Jews still believed the Messiah was coming, and that he believed that then they believed the Messiah was going to enter through this gate. So they just walled it up. Can't do it. Can't ha- can't happen. And to make sure. Just in case the Messiah actually did show up, the Muslims established the, a graveyard right in front of the gate, believing that no Messiah worthy of his name would defile himself by walking through a cemetery. Not personally walked through the cemetery. The gate—it's the whole wall, all the way down to the bottom, right to the road. It is the second most expensive land in all Jerusalem. The other side has a Jewish cemetery. They're all waiting for the king to come. And that's the most expensive cemetery in the world. The other side, the Jews are buried on. Let's see, too late. Jesus has already been there and done it. That's what the triumphal entry into Jerusalem was all about. It was a declaration by Jesus... That he'd come to be the king. And that's why the people were so excited. They knew Jesus had come to be their king. Now, just a side note here. Anybody like my side notes? I'm going to give you a side note anyhow, whether you want it or not. Because I like it. When Jesus comes back, if he wants to enter Jerusalem through a cemetery, there isn't a cemetery or a wall gate that's ever ever going to stop him. right? I'm just saying. Man can do whatever they want to do. God's in charge. So, what is God's most compelling word? What is the word that echoes through every part of the Bible? What is it, the word that God spoke to man before he destroyed the earth in a flood? What is the word that prophets and apostles cry out so often? What is the word that brought Peter to Jesus? What is the word that Jesus spoke to the little children? And to the weary and heaven laden. What is the word that brings the Bible to a close in its final invitation? Let me read to you that final invitation. It's in Revelation chapter 22, and I'm going to start at verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of life, the water of life. Have you figured it out? That word is come. Now, for you trivia buffs, it does matter, it does come down to which version of the Bible you want to, but this morning I'm going to give you the King James Version. Just because I like King James. The word come appears in the King James Version 1,971 times. The word cometh, no comest, comest, appears 29 times, and then cometh appears 282 times, and the words coming appears 173 times, and I could go on and on and bore you to death. There are commandments and warnings and promises in the Bible, for God is a God of righteousness and of truth. But like a sounding refrain Oh, like it's sounding like a refrain from all the other voices is the voice of invitation that says, Come. I love that word, come. Changes our thoughts for a second. The first time that word come is used in the Bible is used with Noah. Noah stands out in history of mankind. He is first mentioned at a, the first mention of ever at a time of great crisis. The whole earth was corrupt before God. And when we see what's going on in the world around us, we wonder, we ponder, we wonder what it would be, what could have been more corrupt than our world today. Anybody wonder? Or is it just me? Our world's in trouble. But today's wickedness, and terrible as though it is, is somewhat relieved by the lives and the earnest prayers of those who are are faithful to God. We're not for that. God would indeed, he could destroy it all. Get back to the beginning again, but there are faithful out there. But back in Noah's day, the Bible says, the Lord looked down and saw how bad the sins everywhere on the earth was, and they only thought about evil things. You can see this for yourself in the book of Genesis, if you want to read it, chapter 6, verse 5. Because the whole universe was wicked, God decided to cleanse the world and start all over again. Noah is commanded to build an ark to save himself and others too who were willing to be saved. In obedience, in spite of all the ridicule he must have received, here's some crazy guy building an ark, right? We have one of the greatest examples of faith recorded in the Bible. Ages afterwards, it was not forgotten for the writer of Hebrews lists Noah in God's Hall of Fame and said, Noah had faith. He built an ark to save his family. He built it because of his great respect for God. God had warned him about things that they could not be seen. Because of his faith, Noah showed up and he showed the world, well, that the world was just guilty. Because of his faith, he was considered right with God. That's Hebrews eleven verse seven. And when the ark was finished, Noah said, "Come into the ark, all to you and all his family." And no one, when Noah and his family were safely in, Bible says the waters rose up and increased greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains were under, the entire heavens were covered with water. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished, but only Noah was left together with those who were with him in the ark. That is Genesis chapter 7, starting at verse 18. Now, if you go to the catacombs in Rome today, where the early Christians were buried, they buried their dead, the picture that you'll see most often for the symbol of Christianity and the Christian's hope in the resurrection and faith is the ark that floating in the water. It is carved place after place in the catacombs. We put crosses in our cemeteries. They put arks in their cemeteries. Because God would get them through. The ark was a symbol of the early church. And is still a message of God for a perishing world that God has said in the beginning, come into the ark. And when people come to church, remember, it is not our invitation, it's God's invitation. God said to Noah, before the flood destroyed the world, come into the ark. And in Revelation, there's a long battle with sin. And when the darkness is over, you hear, John heard the voice of God saying, Come, the Holy Spirit, and the bride says, come. Now let me move you forward in the Bible to Mark chapter 10. It was a bright, sunny morning. Morning in Jericho. Blind Bartimaeus finds a nice, sunny spot on the wall where he can be nice and warm to see what the day will bring for his day of begging. And he sits there, and in the distance he hears the hum of voices and the shuffling of feet. And he soon realizes it was more than just usual street traffic. So he begins to ask those in, who are hurrying by, what's going on? What's all the excitement about? Someone answered, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus of Nazareth thought the baker. I've heard of him. Some say that he's a good man. Others say that he's an imposter and evil. But I've heard he's able to do great miracles. And he's even opened the eyes of the blind. If he was able to do that for others, why not for me? Great thought, right? If he was able to do that for others, why not for me? with hope rising in his heart. Bartimaeus waits until the sounds, as if he's in the center of the procession. It's near him. And then, lifting up his voice, he shouts out, he shouts out, shout that's heard above all the murmur and the hubbub of the passers and the multitudes. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. His cry was so loud. The Bible says that the people in front of the procession started telling him, Bartimaeus, keep still. There there are people here. Were Were there other beggars who were perhaps frightened that his cry might bring the magistrates, that's possible, upon him? Or could it have been the leaders of the city whose official welcome had been loudly interrupted by Bartimaeus the beggar. Well, maybe. And there were some Pharisees too. They didn't like the idea of Jesus getting all this attention. We don't know who they were. But I do know one thing. It's a bad thing to come to, not to come to Christ yourself. Let's word it that way. It's a bad thing not to come to Christ yourself. But it's a worse thing to stand in the way of others. If you'll not come to Christ yourself, be sure that you do not hinder others. But more and more bystanders rebuke Bartimaeus. And the louder he cried, Jesus, have mercy on me. Hearing the cry, Jesus stood still. Many other shouts and voices I know they're going on, right? And Jesus, I'm sure they're being sounded. But there was the one that Jesus heard. And Jesus stood still. That moment Jesus stopped. And I imagine the chief men of the town began to make an apology. It's only one of our town beggars. We can give him strict orders that all beggars are to be removed from the street. We're sorry about that. But Jesus broke in on their apology, saying, Call him and tell him to come to me, basically. And they looked at him in astonishment, and then seeing that he meant it, they hurried off probably towards the beggar, right? Bartimaeus, where he said... Jesus called from, and those who've been telling him to be quiet now are having to tell him, okay, they, they've changed the tune. All their courtesy and kindness. Here, let's get your cloak on you. And another said, here's your staff, right? Here, give me your hand, and we'll help you up in your feet. Barnabas jumps up, and the Bible he casts off his cloak, and he hurries to Jesus. What a scene! Jesus, the light of the world, standing before a blind beggar who's trembling and excited. Standing before him. Jesus knew what Bartimaeus wanted, and yet he asked him, What do you want? Picture that. He knew, but he asked. What was the wish of Bartimaeus? Did he answer, Lord, that you take these rags from me and give me fine garments? Lord, that you should make me a rich man that I'll never have to beg again. No, what he asked for, what he asked for was, Lord, I want to be able to see. He wanted to be able to see the sky that is so blue and the hills of Moab and beyond the Jordan, the Dead Sea and the Temple of God in Jerusalem. Lord, give me sight. Open my eyes. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you. It's healed you. The word come actually is not used here, except when it is said that the beggar came to Jesus. But that's what Jesus asked him to do. Jesus called him to come to him, and the beggar came. This was the last time that Jesus would ever go through Jericho in the Bible. If Bartimaeus had not called out, if he had not come to Christ that morning, his eyes would never have been open. Always for someone, Jesus is passing by the last time side note here, have you watched how many crazy people we have at intersections? how many people run red lights? You're not promised to make it home. There was a car T-boned out here the other day. It, it was totaled. Maybe even for some of you this morning, it could be your last time. You may, you may not make it home. Once again, Jesus sent a message. Call him to come to me. Jesus invites us to come. There are many other times in the Bible when the invitation, come, is given in the Bible, and Jesus said, bring your little children, come to me. Don't keep them away from me. God's kingdom belongs to those like them. Then that's found in Luke chapter 18, verse 16. Or how about the words of those who labor and carry heavy loads? Come to me and I will give you rest. That is Matthew 11:28 Often on the final night of a revival and this is Billy Graham in Los Angeles the last stanza of the invitation is sung and many evangelists will ask it to be sung one more time to give everybody a chance to respond One more time. Maybe, see, so let's word it this way. So God says to the Apostle John, don't close the book. Wait. One more invite that we can invite sinners to come. That's what we read earlier today. John chapter 22 is one more invite. Maybe God's inviting you to come today. Maybe He's giving you one more opportunity to come to Christ. Who invites sinners to come? The Holy Spirit invites. The work of the Holy Spirit in human heart is to convict men of sin and point them to the Lamb of God. It is He who brings about repentance and faith, which uh, culminates in our salvation. The Apostle Paul told King Agrippa when he was, uh, that when he was on the Damascus Road, he heard a voice saying in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the Goads. That is Acts, chapter 26, verse 14, and it says goads. Those, what are goads? Have you ever noticed that before? It says goads. Those are sharp spear-like sticks that they use to prod livestock. They actually had a name for them. Nice stick with a nice point to kick him in the rear, right? Well, get him to Move. It's like a sharp stick or a prim stick of the Holy Spirit in our speaking and our thinking. Acts twenty six fourteen. Look it up. G O A D S. Goads. Do Go you ever notice it? Ever wonder what it's for? Now the church invites us. See, now, let's just be honest. You who are, and there's some people in the pews that are unsaved. You who are unsaved who don't just show up here just to attend, right? You have those shame sparks when you're hearing sermons. You're like, okay, I got to someday make a decision. Not guaranteed to make it home today. See, when the church invites, the bride invites you, it's special. That's why we do things. This is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not on earth. That's what we are. Surely every true true every true church, let's word it that way, is calling out sinners. That's the primary mission of a church. To say there's right and wrong, there's good and bad. Now we do many things in and through the church. But the church, the chief task, let's word it this way, the chief task of the church is to win souls. It is, and everything we do should have that bottom line to winning souls as its ultimate thing. That's why we do concerts. That's why we do stuff. So you can invite people to church so we can win their souls. Every hearer is to invite let it says in the bible let him who hears say come should i repeat that let hear him him who hears say come who were invited well those thirsty are invited whoever is thirsty let him come that means everyone who's dissatisfied with life and its earthly pleasures and think the world's crazy everyone who's tired of sin Everyone who wants peace in his or her heart. Zacchaeus, remember the short little guy? He climbed up a tree to see Jesus. He was thirsty. The tax collector who cried out, Be merciful on me, a sinner, was thirsty. You about that tall? I don't know how tall he was. They said he was short. the sinful woman at the well was thirsty. And this world is full of thirsty people. Trouble is, that many are trying to quench their thirst at wells of the world. And that will never satisfy. Whoever will is invited. This is the same whoever that we find in John 3:16. It's an invitation extended and salvation offered to anyone and everyone. Those who desire to be saved are invited. If it's in your heart to desire to drink of the water of life, you're invited to come. What is the invitation? It is to take the water of life. Christ provides the water, he offers it to you, but you have to take it. When you're desperately ill or the doctor offers you a medicine, you take it or you die. You've got to follow their advice. You might think you have a crazy doctor and change doctors, but you still got to take advice. Or listen to the nurse. They're much smarter. I trust nurses. The water's free. If you have money On this earth, you can stay at the best hotels. And you can eat the most expensive food. You can wear the finest clothes. And you can ride in the high-priced cars. And the jet planes. But you can't get to heaven... by that way. Now, you can't get to heaven without money. You can get to heaven without a price. God is not trying to sell you anything... He's trying to give you salvation, eternal life. Oh, what a Savior we have. He saved us. He can save the highest and save the lowest. He invites you to come today. See, this is the last invitation in the Bible. It's the last invitation ever written. I want you to think about this throughout all the book. All the information that you have in these pages. If you look at Revelation chapter 22, that's all that's left after the invitation. The very last thing in the Bible, truthfully, it it warns us. But before that warning, there's this invitation. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Holy Spirit and the Church says, come. And the, let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Now, how many of you wonder why we have concerts? We've talked about this before. We have consciousness you can invite people to church. We have, we do things so you can invite people. Because people are afraid of you. They think you're weird. Anybody know that you're weird? You have anybody of your family members ever told you you're kind of weird? Anybody say you're... Well, they might even get put the S word in there, right? I, yeah. We can choose to follow the dark tunnel of this world. And it can look pretty from the world's point of view or you can make a personal decision. You've all got aches and pains. You've all got woes. You've all got challenges. How many of your pharmacists know your name when you just walk to the counter and you don't even have to tell them your name? That means you've been to the pharmacy too much. When the nurse at the doctor's office can just say, hello, and say your name. You didn't have to introduce yourself to them. It means you've been there too often. How many of you swore that when you got old you would never make a sound getting up and now you find yourself making noises when you get up to stand up? You've gotten old. Anybody in that boat so far? How many of you used to have jet black hair or brown hair and now it's white and falling out? You know, you count the hairs in your brush, right? Growing old is supposed to give us wisdom. We're supposed to teach it to the next generation. Well, the next generation all thinks we're dumb. That's okay. Okay. They're longing for something. They're longing for people who aren't afraid. They're longing for people who can love them, who can actually smile at them. Do you know how you when you go to Walmart, you find that one teller that actually smiles at you? You look for that teller, and you, if the, even if there's one extra cart in that line, you'll go through her line because you hate the self-bagging, right? You go because you want to meet a person, and she smiles at you. You know the grocery store when they you you go through it just so you can get a smile. Right? You ever been there? And they recognize you. That can be a bad thing though. That can be cuz you can't mess up, right? This is why we do what we do. So that we can recognize people and we can share the gospel and we can do things. Now, we're going to close. You're going to disappear. But somebody in here may needs to make may need to make a decision. In every group this size, there may be somebody just showing up to show up. If you need to talk, I'll be happy to talk with you. But God says, come. That's his final invitation. Don't walk out the door and think you're going to make it home. You're not even promised to make it off the ramp. Anybody ever fallen on that ramp out there when it's snowy and icy? Right? There's always a time to make a decision. But when they're playing this final song... We're not going to embarrass you. But all you have to do is say, God, I'm a sinner. Please come in my heart. And I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee. Not this next week, because I'm going to be gone, but the week after I'd buy you a coffee and we'd cover some stuff. But if you never made that decision, today's a good day. The final invitation of the Bible is come. Think of how many times it's used in the Bible. Let's close in prayer. Father, right now we pray for nephews nieces, children, grandchildren. We pray for parents. We pray for uncles that are not walking with you. We thank you, Father, for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the blessing that you've given us. But Father, we ask now that you place your Holy Spirit in their hearts that will start working, that we might be able to share the good news. We do not want to go down this long, dark tunnel of life to the very end and not take them to heaven with us. So give us the words, give us the wisdom to be able to share the message that you say, come, all who are heavy laden and burdened, all who are weak, all who are sick, all who are seeking, and help us to share that good news. And all God's people said, Amen.